Hey, welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality. I'm Sydney DeLorean, and we have hashtag fan favorite contender Rob Love. How's it going, Rob? Doing pretty good, Sydney. Uh, it's good to be back. Um, I'm happy to be the, still the legitimate hashtag fan favorite. Um, I don't like the way you threw in contender because I am still the hashtag fan favorite. Oh, okay. Okay. So when we started this fan favorite battle, it didn't reset it to no one's fan favorite. You are the reigning fan favorite. I'm the reigning fan favorite. It's up to Mr. McNulty because he's nasty to take it away from me. It's up to him. Um, I'm just sitting here. I'm just sitting here on the throne. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's going to have to be the one to knock me off. So bring it. I will tell you this about Mr. McNulty. Mr. McNulty came over uh, to record an episode of my show, and I gave him these uh, pork rinds that Alex sent me from South Carolina, and Mr. McNulty Uh uh, ate the whole bag at once because he's dedicated to the the pod. That sounds like something Scott would do. Um, I don't know if that makes him hashtag fan favorite, though. Um, Maybe with Alex. Yeah. Um, well, he also I came back over and recorded an episode of Bored and Sober with Zach Bird. So I haven't heard that episode yet. I haven't. I still need to edit it. Um, so we'll see um, how Scott and Zach talk when I'm not around. Well, you're editing it, so you could probably edit in anything that you want uh, Scott to say in that episode just to make him, you know, less the fan favorite. Yeah, that's true. Or I could just edit myself into the episode. Like, I pause it and give my commentary on what they're saying. (laughs) (laughs) And I turn the hour-long episode into a two-hour-long episode because I keep stopping it and interjecting with my opinion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a nightmare. Let's let's not do that. Uh, well, yeah, we know that I'm not going to do that. I am too busy and too lazy to do such things. Um, you know, I've been in the studio recording multiple episodes today. I don't have time to then edit them. You know, let's not be crazy. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, for sure. Um, so what are we talking about today, Rob? Well, Sydney, I've got a juicy story, um, not well known. Uh, this is another story about a <clears throat> basically um, a real shithead out of the uh, Pacific Northwest, this local area. I'm I'm doing my best to make Tacoma look like the worst place um, in the world, in hopes that no one will move here. I guess. Um, cause we've got enough people. Oh, so uh, I see what you're doing. It, I'm on to you now. Today's story is about Jeff Smith, the frugal gourmet and the scandal that he was embroiled in that he, be, that he caused, I should say, um, starting in the seventies up through the nineties. And, uh, it really doesn't get the notoriety that it deserves. This is pre Harvey Weinstein, pre, you know, pre me too. Um, this is pre, uh, Garrison Keillor. See, okay, well let's, we better, we better reset and start at the beginning. Okay. That's, that's the, uh, that's sort of the intro of what we're going to talk about is the frugal gourmet. Probably a lot of people have heard about him. He was a PBS, like celebrity chef. He had his own show that aired for years and years, probably 15 or more years. Um, this is after Julia child, you know, the first probably she was probably the first like big cook PBS cooking phenom. Yeah. She was kind know, of star. a big deal. She was kind of a big deal. And then, um, so she, I don't know what timeline she followed, but like she was around from like, I want to say like, 60s or mm-hmm. 70s or something and then she became like a really old frail lady let's not we won't get into her husband's um like spy status what it's wait, wait. her husband was it's a spy 
Yeah, it's pretty widely known that the reason Julia Child was even in France in the first place to learn how to cook was because her husband was like, I don't know if he was CIA or what, you know, country he was spying for, but he was basically a spy stationed in Paris. And so she went there with him and had nothing to do during the day. So she took up French cooking because she was in Paris. Like, what are you going to do, right? Yeah. So she, she learned all about French cuisine and then kind of parlayed that <clears throat> into, you know, what she became, sort of like a cooking, uh, you know, mogul, whatever. Um, and so she was like the f- PBS's like first culinary celebrity, we'll say. Okay. Um, later on, I would say, you know, I don't know when she tapered off, but around 1983, PBS adopted Jeff Smith, the frugal gourmet, and uh, incorporated him into their programming. He became sort of the staple um, of of PBS cookery programming. It looks like, just to give people an idea, this dude was born in 1939 in Tacoma, Washington. So that means he's 10 years older than my mother, Deborah. Um, and he started a show. His co- first sh- cooking show was a local Tacoma show, and he did that in 1973. And then PBS picks it up in 1983 so you know it it takes a lot to make it in 1983 like the news how does pbs find you he's got it so he must have been a local phenom to get on pbs's radar yeah um you're right he was he was born in tacoma um he lived apparently in seattle with his mom during the 40s um and maybe a little bit post-war or whatever. Um, But then he attended uh, University of Puget Sound in Tacoma. These are your stomping uh, grounds. These are my... I rode rode my bike past or through the campus of um, UPS, University of Puget Sound, um, just a couple days ago on my little training ride that I went on. But... uh, so it's just a couple of miles away from here. He attended there. He, um, let's see, he got his, you know, whatever, his four-year degree there in like the 60s, early 60s. Then he, he went to New Jersey um, and graduated from, <clears throat> I don't know the name of the university or, you know, college that he went to there, but he got a degree from a college in New Jersey in 1964. So that's where he met, I feel like we need to circle back to this, but that's where he met his wife was when he was in school for theology. <laughs> so he got his theology degree. He, he became a, um, I think it was 1964, 19, 1965 that he graduated with his theology degree. Um, he became an, an ordained minister in the um, uh, Methodist faith, like right after that. And then he went straight to work as the chaplain, as well as an associate professor at back at the University of Puget Sound, where he got mm-hmm. his undergraduate degree, like that same year. So 1965, he's, he's back in Tacoma. He's married. And uh, he's, you know, working as a chaplain and, you know, like I said, associate professor at this place. And then... And I'm not inherently mad at a Methodist minister just because, like, I grew up super churchy and we ended up Southern Baptist because, you know, with religion, sometimes that shit escalates. But we started out Methodist and I was never too mad at the Methodist situation because they um after church had full donuts and um we had come like from a lutheran church that just gave the donut holes so when we switched over to this methodist church and after church waiting for you was like a nice spread of full-size dunkin donuts and apple cider i was like 
fuck yeah, they're being Methodist is this is not too bad. Um, there was an incident one year in the church nativity play, and I'm not proud of what I did, but um, <clears throat> they took my wings away because I was an angel, and they gave them to the uh, pastor's daughter um, because she was bigger and she needed the wings with the elastic um thing even even though I had been wearing them in all the rehearsals and so they were like no she needs your wings to to fit in the thing and you can have these shitty sucky ones um and uh they gave me these like ugly busted wings like a last minute switcheroo and I was not emotionally mature enough to handle it and I spent the entire nativity play um singing while ripping the garland out of my halo and throwing it on the ground like I shredded my halo on stage because I was so angry that someone stole my wings yeah uh I feel like that story is really in keeping with what we're going to be talking about because you sound like a, a young Clint Smith oh, at that point. A young yeah. Clint Smith. We'll get into him. Okay. We'll get into him later. No relation. No okay. relation. No relation anyway, to Will Smith? No to Jeff Smith. So as I was saying. <laughs> as you were saying, Rob, so, so Jeff Smith. <laughs> Jeff Smith moved back to Tacoma after graduating with his theology degree um, in about 1965 and worked at the U- at UPS. And at some point he opened up a, you know, he was a chaplain at that um, college university. Okay. So at some point he, he opened up a, it was like a deli slash um, catering service called the Chaplain's Pantry. Oh. And this business was located... Yeah. And this business was located about, um, well, a quarter mile from where I live. It's it's right across the street from the supermarket that I shop at all the time. Um, it's now a, uh, like a fusion Asian cuisine restaurant. Oh. Um, the actual store, the storefront where this Chaplain's Pantry used to be. Um, but he, he ran a catering service slash deli out of there and he tended to right now, right across a different street, just about a block away from where the chaplain's pantry was, is a high school, local high school called stadium high school. It's a very, very cool high school. I believe, um, it's been, the architecture is striking. Um, it's kind of like gothic looking, and I believe that it's been used as uh, like a set or scenery in different like <clears throat> made-for-TV made movies and stuff like that. I don't have a list, but um, it's pretty cool. Anyway, I'm pretty jealous. Um, I I mean, how do I get cast in these made-for-TV movies? It's a dope. If you saw it, you would you would agree. It's super dope. It's got like <clears throat> all these like spires coming Ooh. up from like turrets. Yeah, it's got like eight turrets or whatever with these giant spires coming up from from each of them, and then it's positioned way up on this bluff overlooking. Uh-huh. Um, it's called the Theophos Waterway, I guess, but it's basically the Puget Sound. So it's like way up on this cliff overlooking the water and you can like see it's got a great view. There's a stadium. It's called Stadium High School because there's a stadium, a very big stadium um, that was built probably like in the early 1900s. And uh, at that time, it was it was the place to um, see things and to come. It was like if there was a big event, it was happening at stadium high school in the stadium because that was like the biggest sort of like arena that was available at the time. I'm so. pretty jealous. Cause you want to know what high schools look like out here. They look like, um, a tiny, pri- well, yeah. Uh, a lot of them are gray now, the newer ones. 
Um, even some of the, like some of the um, downtown Tempe ASU uh, buildings, they were the apparently the architect of them was uh, previously known as a prison designer, and like you can tell. Um, but the high schools out here, they all look like just prison boxes, and because they were built when era before our population boomed, half the campus is just double wide trailers. So like our high school campuses out here are kind of like, yeah, it's just a bunch of double wides. It's depressing. Is there in Arizona? Is there a um, a Joe Arpaio High School? Ooh, good question. I'm not sure. Uh, he is a monster. Yes. Yeah. He's our, for, for people who don't know, he is, uh, he was like our sheriff for years and in charge of all our prisons and keeping people in very, uh, inhumane conditions. Um, and he would keep people outside in tents in hundred degree weather and make them wear pink. Um, prison garb. Yeah, uh, the people like applauded him as being uh, this tough sheriff um, uh, for keeping the prisoners in tents. Which, like, I would argue to say that if you if your prison population is growing more quickly than you can build buildings, um, there's a problem. <laughs> like, either you are like just like jailing people for no reason. Ding, ding, ding. Um, I don't know, but uh, yeah, he. Uh, interesting thing about Joe Arpaio's tough jails is that he doesn't provide feminine hygiene products for female inmates. Um, he gives them maternity pads, which are basically like diapers, um, because it's part of like the humiliation. So, like if you're menstruating in his jail, you have to wear this big giant diaper. Um, but the long-term inmates Ugh. know how to like tear them apart and roll them into tampons. So, like they use the absorbent material, but will like take these deconstruct these maternity pads and make tampons out of them so that they don't have to wear fucking diapers um yeah he's a monster yeah for sure for sure and uh wasn't he part he was like brought up against like some sort of criminal charges but then pardoned Recently, oh, or um, I haven't kept up with that. I do know that he had so many um, like malpractice suits against him. He our, our insurance, like the cost of like his whatever insurance for for like uh, lawsuits was 10 times the cost of any other sheriff in any other district in the entire United States. So like the next um, most expensive sheriff to insure was like somewhere in Texas and he was still one tenth of what it cost for ours because we had so many malpractice suits. Um, you know, rampant staff infections, um, refusal to digitize medical records. So people were dying of, uh, like, like, uh, diabetes issues and heart issues in our jails because they weren't getting their medicine. Um, it's a mess. It's a fucking mess. But I, we have a different guy now. I don't know how well he's doing. Um, I can't remember how we got on to um, Joe Arpaio from Frugal Gourmet. Uh, oh, uh, we were talking about high schools. We were talking about this high school by you that's all beautiful and people shoot movies at it. And I was like, my entire state looks like a prison. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, thank you. Gosh. Yeah. What a what a ride. Um, okay. So yeah, Joe Arpaio is a giant piece of shit. Mm -hmm. And you know who else is a giant piece of shit? Who? Jeff Smith, the frugal gourmet. Because you know what he did? What did he do? He hired at his deli slash catering business called the Chaplain's Pantry at mm -hmm. the time, uh, which was located about a block away from Stadium High School. He would hire sort of like at-risk teenage boys who were students at the high school to work at his cafe slash deli. Oh. And what he would do, he would hire the, you know, he, he kind of made a point of hiring kids who were sort of like at-risk, like bad grades, like had no prospects. He would sort of single those out specifically to hire and then groom them for, you guessed it, sexual molesting. Dude. Uh, he totally, uh, from about 1970 
through, well, it was 1983 is, I believe, when he got hired to start filming a cooking show for PBS. Um, and it was at a, a Chicago PBS station. But between the years of like 1970 and 1983, uh-huh. he was operating the chaplain's pantry, you know, deli and hiring these high school kids and basically, you know, giving them jobs because they had no other prospects, teaching them cooking uh-huh. and, you know, becoming sort of a, uh, like an authority, an, an all-knowing authority figure to them and, um, and then diddling them. Uh, so. <laughs> Dude, there is a, a listener, uh, Robert wrote in about this guy that he knew peripherally growing up who's similar situation. I think his name was Craig Bird. And he was like, yeah, this dude, like, would kind of come around like my group of skater kids and be like, come to my house. You're lost. I'm a preacher, um, but I'll totally let you drink at my house. And then he like molested these kids. And I just am like, it's fucking, that's, I always say the best thing you can do as a parent is like raise your kid to have self-esteem and like know that they can come to you with issues and have like an open door so that your kid is not out there feeling like lost and turning to someone else who, like, can prey upon them. Because Jesus fucking Christ, fuck these people. Yeah, people who, and then, okay, let's back up to, like, it was always, like, male, you know, it was always male uh, teenagers that he would diddle. Um, And let's just back up to, like, 1964 when he's, at that school in New Jersey studying his theology degree um, that now I'm just sort of editorializing here, Uh but back in the early in the mid sixties, like homosexuality was so frowned upon. It was still considered a mental disorder. I think at that point it might've been illegal. I'm pretty sure sodomy was illegal in most places. So the, Basically, if you were a gay man uh, in the in the mid '60s, one of the easiest paths to take was to study religion mm-hmm. and become a religious person. Because it, I don't, I think, well, apparently not in Methodist because he did have a wife. But it seems to me the thing to do is like. Be oh, I'm not interested in women, so I'm gonna study God and religion, and I'm you know I'm above all of that base yeah. human human stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so he kind of put himself in that position, and then in a lot, that was a place at that time to study religion was a great time or a great opportunity for someone who wasn't interested in women to uh, marry someone who might not have been interested in men. Oh, maybe. okay, okay. And you meet in college and you're both there maybe <laughs> doing the same thing but from different ends of the spectrum and maybe you kind of meet and say like, uh, like maybe a Bill and a Hillary Clinton might have kind of met in college and said, you know what? I'm not really interested in men and I'm not really interested in uh, being married to a woman. Mm -hmm. So let's just like do this thing and make it a thing of convenience and, uh, you know, go from there and then we can be respectable, right? Yeah. Well, and also like I'm sure they were really good friends because if you are uh, marginalized and isolated, like – he probably didn't have a lot of male friends, right? And she probably didn't have a lot of female friends, like, because they're, like, hiding the secret. Like, they probably did get along. Like, they probably were really good friends and were like, okay, like, we do have a friendship bond. That's totally cool. Let's Because sometimes I feel like it's, it's not explicitly spoken. Like, it's like they both understand, but, like, it doesn't even need to be said. 
Like, he's like, yeah, you want to get married? And she's like, sure. And, like, they've never fingered each other. But they know. <laughs> but they know. And they continue, they they went on to pump out a couple of kids uh, in their post, post-marital bliss. Um, I'm not saying that there wasn't a turkey baster involved. I'm not saying there was. Also, there is a um, long history of gay dudes and their fag hags getting drunk enough to fuck. It happens a lot. For, for um, sure. For yeah. Sure. I mean, as my friend Little Gay Dan once said, I'm drunk enough I would kiss a girl. And he did. And then he got oral herpes from her. Um, <laughs> and he was real <laughs> sore about it because, like, listen... Everyone he was has, cold sore about it. Yeah, he was cold sore about it. Uh, everyone has oral herpes, no big deal. But like, you want to at least get it from the gender you're attracted to. <laughs> I was so, like, well, okay, girls so are they, gross, and that's why you shouldn't kiss them. That's well, and there you go. That's easy justification. Just one one bad experience, you know. Yeah. I don't know. So they pump out these kids and what else? Uh, uh, I think we've been through it. So like over the the span of from like 1970 to like 1983 or something, um, eventually a, a um, it was back in 1994, a bunch of people, up to 20 people, um, we're going to testify him against Jeff Smith about, um, you know, molestering, molestering. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> like most of them were from the range of like the early seventies through the, you know, early eighties. Um, I think there were eight people total that were former employees of him that were going to testify in court. They all kind of came. One of them named Clint Smith, no relation that we alluded to earlier. He had a separate lawsuit against Jeff Smith. And what was um, his lawsuit? His involved, um, his, Clint said that Jeff Smith, you know, Clint, uh, Jeff Smith had, uh, you know, like molested Clint Smith um, back when he was a high school, you know, student and confronted Jeff Smith about it. And Jeff Smith agreed to some sort of a settlement like, oh, OK, I'll pay you this money if you keep sh you know quiet about this. Mm -hmm. And so Jeff Smith stopped making those payments to oh, him. Oh, stop making the he, hush payments. And then I think while he was even working at the chaplain's pantry, Clint Smith started like um, forging checks and uh, like, you know, keeping the money or whatever, you know. Uh, because he was saying that Jeff Smith wasn't making the payments that he agreed to. Okay. So Clint Smith, so Clint Smith was like taking company checks, forging them, hammering them, depositing the money, whatever. And, uh, eventually he got arrested for that and spent like some time in jail for oh, that. Oh, dude. Yeah. He made, that was a wrong move on his part because he just. Right. Yeah. I get yeah, it. You're trying to get paid for getting molested. I get you. But, like, you can't then commit crimes because you're going to end up in jail. It's just like Doug Llewellyn used to say on the People's Court. Uh-huh. If, uh, if, if, uh, I forget what he said. If someone, you don't take the law into your own hands, you take him to court. <laughs> and then there was, like, a gavel sound. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> I love Judge Wapner, dude. Old school people's court with Judge Wapner and Doug Llewellyn. And that's where it's at. With. That is where it's at. I mean, take what you say what you will about Judge Judy. She's great. I uh -huh. love her. 
but old school people's court with, uh, yeah, Judge Wapner, Doug Llewellyn, that was a power combo, power combo. Um, you know anyway. what's so funny is on the episode that aired before this one uh, with Ben James, we talk about uh, how great Judge Judy is. So we're like... We're just oh, she's of, the best. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, and so now we're also. Uh, I'm gonna have to watch some old people's court on YouTube to get up to snuff because I I don't I I remember it, but I don't remember it well. <laughs> He's a crotchety old man. He's not like a with it smart. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's he is what he is. Yeah, he's just but, had enough. Never mind. <laughs> so um. Fuck, where were we? Uh, oh, so Chris Smith is, ends up in jail because he's forging checks because oh, Jeff Smith quit right. paying him. Right, right, right. So later on in like 94, when Clint Smith is one of, there were eight people that, uh, you know, follow, you know, filed suit against Jeff Smith back in like 1994. Clint Smith did it on his own and the other seven had sort of a group thing so um clint smith's case was thrown out basically because uh whatever there was some probably because of that hammering the checks and whatnot so his his case got thrown out i don't need money from jeff smith but uh the other seven were set to go to trial on, you know, like a certain day, say August 10th, 1994 or whatever, Mm -hmm. on August 9th, 1994, um, the attorneys for Jeff Smith decided to settle with the seven, uh, other people, um, for what turned out to be about $5 million. Okay. All right. Get paid. Get paid, get paid. Um, but there were there were in addition to those other seven people, there were like thirteen other there were like twenty people ready to testify against them. There were some people that had not actually filed suit but were willing to testify about their experiences of being you know sexually abused by Jeff Smith. Um, there was a couple whose teenage son had been picked up hitchhiking by Jeff Smith in 1992 and he reported that Jeff Smith had raped him um, during this experience and they were going to testify, but they weren't actually part of the lawsuit. Right. Okay. Okay. So they're like, we didn't file suit, but like we can testify that this dude's a fucking rapist. Exactly. We want to like, yeah, we want to testify against this asshole, like shitty character. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the day before the trial date, um, yeah, Jeff Smith decided to settle with all these people. And so none of their, none of their um, testimony or none of their words are ever part of the official record. Jeff Smith was never accused, never um well, because the statute of limitations had run out, uh-huh. he, he could not be accused of a crime. Okay, this and is the, the fucked up thing that, like, we're learning as, like, these things about, like, R. Kelly and Michael Jackson come to light is that the statute of limitations on um, sexual assault, like, there should be no statute of limitations, especially on underage sexual assault, because, like, some of these victims, like, in the Michael Jackson case, some of his victims, like, were not, they actually testified as character witnesses in some of his trials saying that he was a good guy because they even though they knew that he like fucking raped them and molested them and all this shit they loved him and they didn't want to see him go to jail because they were still under his spell and it wasn't until they were in their late 30s that they were able to like come to a point of healing enough to be like no this is fucking wrong this dude like married me when I was 12 and I thought we were making love because we were in love, but I was also 12. Um, and so, like, that's the fucked up thing about the statute of limitations on, like, sexual assault is, like, it can take decades for the victims to be, like, able to come forward. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, this 
Jeff Smith's numbers are almost up with like Bill Cosby numbers, if you think about it. Oh, yeah. And so it's like there were 20 people willing to come forward and testify. How many others either didn't know about it or just weren't willing to come? You know what I mean? Like there could have been 40 or 50. You don't know. Yeah. Jeff Smith settles his attorneys, whatever the, the, um, the victims, you know, like the seven people in the one lawsuit, um, except Jeff Smith attorneys had like, um, offered a settlement like months in advance. And like the day before trial, the seven, um, people in the lawsuit decided to accept the settlement. So no, none of that information none of their testimony ever got put into the like legal record like you can't look up all of what they said because you know once he settled all that stuff just kind of gets buried yeah um so uh anyway he he kind of got like his show got canceled and like, according to the news, you know, news, there, there wasn't internet at the time that this was going on. So all you have is like old news clippings, basically, if you can find them on Google, that's where I did most of my research. But, um, like at the time, PBS was like, well, we're going to put his show on hold. We're not sure if he'll be back or whatever. You know, like they weren't like he's fucking canceled for sure after this. They oh were like, God. well, we're, we're, we're going to wait and see, you know, how the public, <laughs> the tide of public, you know, sentiment goes or whatever. So, um, but he continued to, I don't know if he continued to publish books after that, but his books are still available for sale. Um, if you look up Jeff Smith, the frugal gourmet on Google, the controversy does not come up. It's more about like how awesome was his cooking show? Like he was so heartwarming and he injected, um, like sort of like an inquisitive knowledge blended with like this, you know, warm personality and like, uh, <laughs> and skill technique. It, it's horrible. Like if he's still, he's not canceled. You can go fucking buy his books and you can, if you go on YouTube, I looked for frugal gourmet scandal, like videos. Like, is there some sort of like a, um, like, have people wish- made their own YouTube docs about what a fucking douchebag this guy is? Like, if if this podcast that we're recording right now was put on YouTube, who could I find that? And there was absolutely zero. There was zero. No, no, no one's reporting on this. All all I could find, if you go to YouTube uh-huh. and type in Frugal Gourmet, you're going to find hundreds of hours of his cooking show on PBS. Still up there, no bones about it. It's fine. I mean, if you tried to look up the Cosby Show, would would you be able to find? Co- I don't know if you could. Um, all because, I know is that because- I'm probably gonna go through and comment on YouTube on every fucking video with this guy as a fucking <laughs> predator, and then a link to this podcast, and that's what they call guerrilla marketing. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Hear it. That's very punk rock. Oh, I'm very, I'm super punk rock. So, um, so he never had any criminal charges filed against him. He was never convicted of a crime. Even if the kid, there was no criminal charges to file. Of course, we already went over that because the statute of limitations had been exceeded or whatever. And then he paid them off uh, with his PBS money he, or his ministry money or book money. Book money. Book he money. sold a ton of books. Okay. He was um, he was on the national he was on the uh, New York Times bestseller list oh. for cookbooks. He with two cookbooks at one time. He's the only author to ever be on the New York Times bestseller list mm-hmm. for two for two books at the same time. I so I can't even imagine deal. his recipes are that good. 
You know what? You got to watch the show, honey. I'll find it's out. A good show. I'm just saying we learned that Larry Nasser was too busy molesting girls to actually be a good doctor, and I bet this guy is too busy like getting kids to suck him off to actually be a good chef. I don't know. I think I think most of that was done before his show even started to be honest. So, but there was the kid that he, you know, picked up hitchhiking and, you know, apparently raped in like 1994, no, 1992. You don't and just let me tell you stop this, molesting. You don't just stop molesting. You're right. But it becomes a little less high profile. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, he could have been, uh, maybe he made friends with Jeffrey Epstein. I don't know. I'm I not going to speculate. They're all fucking garbage people. I hate them um, at this point. Everyone has listened to our episode on Jeffrey Epstein and knows my stance, which is that if you have an uncontrollable urge to sexually assault children, you should kill yourself. Listen, you're gonna end up getting caught. So how about you fucking kill yourself before you destroy other people's lives? I'm just saying, if you have urges to hurt other people that you are incapable of controlling, fucking kill yourself. Find a goddamn bridge and jump off that shit. Do what needs to be done before you destroy other people's lives. Just destroy your own, you fucking idiot. So do you want to get to my personal encounter with Jeff Smith? Because I had one. Did he molester you because you had that gorgeous flowing hair and you were so beautiful? Oh my God, I was so beautiful. But no, he didn't <laughs> get a chance to molester me. What happened was I was at the graduation, college graduation party of my girlfriend at the time. She graduated from the Evergreen State College. Oh, notorious. And, uh, I'm notorious. This was back before it was that notorious, but it was always pretty freaky. Uh, so she had her graduation party at a restaurant at Pike Place Market, which is where Jeff Smith has had. I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but he took up residence at uh, a place. I think he owned a condo near Pike Place Market. And lived there from, like, you know, the 90s up till, spoiler alert, the time that he died, which was, like, 2004, I believe. Mm. And Pike Place Market is the place that Starbucks named their house coffee blend after. Pike Place Market is a big deal in Seattle. It's kind of like a go-to it's almost like, you know, like Fisherman's Wharf. I don't know. I've never been to San Francisco, but Pike Place Market is a place that's a, a sort of a tourist attraction. Um, people have probably seen the videos of people throwing fish. Yes. Yeah, you throw, oh, hey, give me a fish, and then they throw the fish, and it flies 20 feet, and then the guy catches it. Yeah, I honestly can't think of anything more horrific. I guess molesting children is more horrific, but like, as I, I am scared of a live fish. They give me the heebie-jeebies, and dead fish aren't much better because it, if they're alive, they're in the water. I can't fucking smell them, but I can see them. And I can see them with their scales, like, wiggling around, doing their fish thing. But then when they're dead, okay, they're not wiggling around, but you can fucking smell them. And it is, the the thing about a fish, the smell, the texture, just everything about it is, like, a thousand percent not for me. And so the idea of people throwing them around and the sound of it hitting, it's just slapping hands against fish Oh, oh, oh. Anyways. Yeah, it's it's more of a tourist attraction thing. There's no reason to throw fish through the air. It's a, it's a very silly thing. Yeah, unless you're but, the, uh, the Muppet New Zealand who he's a clown and his whole shtick is throwing fish. There's no fucking reason. If, unless you're a circus Muppet, there's no fucking reason to throw a fish. 
I can't remember why I was talking about Pike Place Market at this point. Oh, because you ran into um, I said so you ran oh, into right. Jeffrey Epstein. You, you... <laughs> so when I met Jeff Jeffrey Epstein, no, uh, Jeff Smith, mm-hmm. uh, right? So it was my, uh, you know, at that time, girlfriend's uh, college graduation party. Her family showed up. It was at a restaurant at Pike Place Market. Um, it was a group of like maybe 12 or 16 of us at, you know, a couple of tables or whatever. And then just across the way, who was there? This was 1990, I'd say 1994, just a time, time stamp. Jeff Smith? Jeff Smith was sitting there across the way and I, uh, you know, I'm like 20 years old at the time in my teens earlier than that, before I even moved to Washington, I used to watch PBS and I would see Jeff Smith's uh, Frugal Gourmet cooking show on TV. And I used to like it. I used to watch it when I was like a, you know, in teenager. So, uh, and he used to call it, he used to mention the town that he was from and he would say Tacoma. I always heard it as Tacoma, like T-E-C. U-L-M-A, like I'd never heard of Tacoma before, but I always just so was like, oh, okay, well, I guess it's Tacoma, uh-huh. Washington. Now I live in Tacoma, and I know it's not spelled that way. Uh, <laughs> so weird, just a weird coincidence. But uh, so I saw him, and I was like, oh, shit, I recognize that dude over there. And uh, watched him proceed to eat a basket of steamed mussels, uh-huh. you know, like the, the shellfish. Oh, I know. And, okay. And then like throughout the course of him eating that basket of steamed mussels, he probably drank about four, what looked like vodka sodas, mm-hmm. like du- probably double vodka sodas. He's a giant man. He's like six foot. He was, I think he's dead now, thank God. But he was like six foot three, two, uh, 300 pounds. I mean, he was, at this time, he was a giant fat dude. And like, I was like, wow, you look way fatter than on TV. And that's because he wasn't recording. So he was just like, fuck it. Yeah. I'm just going to eat all the, I'm just going to like, you know live it up well he has to so, eat uh, to forget his, what a terrible fucking human being he is and why he couldn't live his life as the person he would i almost see him as a victim in a way except for the pederasty um but also like, like you can just be a fucking faggot just be a faggot like granted but it when, wasn't accepted yeah, but there there is a history of people being out and proud even back then. Like you have like your Quentin Crisps and like even in the era where um, people couldn't be openly gay, they could be openly bachelors and go to secret gay clubs and shit. Like thousands of people were fucking gay and didn't molest children. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You go maybe, to a park, you I, suck someone off, like, it's fine. I almost, I I kind of feel like he shouldn't be lumped in with gay people, because I think he was just a pedophile. Well, and so that's like a total, so then he's, yeah, that's totally different. Like... I, I mean, but if he was, this is a weird, like, theoretical question of, like, if he was allowed the freedom to be the person he was, or, you know, the person he felt like he was, would he have targeted... Children. Like, adolescent boys. Yeah, exactly. Children. Yeah. Well, I mean, but so, these are decisions that he made. You know what I'm saying? Like, he he could have... You can have all sorts of thoughts and feelings that you don't act on. And so this sort of thing of, like, going through the steps to become captain, family, friendly, minister, chef, whatever, so that you have access to children. Like, these are all calculated steps that at any given point he could have stopped himself. These are premeditated 
crimes. So, like, he has the option to just, you know, not marry a woman, be a confirmed bachelor, go to underground gay clubs. He has the option to just get gay porn through the mail, like, that people did at that time and, like, beat off privately. He has, if he turns out he's a pedophile, like, that is his sexual orientation and he's not just gay but a gay pedophile, he could fucking kill himself instead of molest her children. He could have just like beat off while thinking about adolescence instead of actually preying upon them. Like there are options. So fuck this guy. <laughs> You've got me convinced. Yeah, fuck this guy. I think I already knew the answer, but I was just putting it out there. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. A, yeah, there there's so a... There's a million steps and options on the way to committing a crime on which you can, like, change your mind. You know what I'm saying? So, like, when someone makes a series of decisions that leads to them doing something bad, I, I'm sorry. I'm I, Like, I'm not sorry for you anymore. I think if, if he had, like, courted relationships with, like, um, age-appropriate other dudes, or whatever, I would give him a total pass, but you're right. Like, he was a fucking creep. Yeah, these are children, and and they're troubled children. And so, like, that's who uh, predators and cult leaders prey upon, is people from unhealthy, unstable, bad backgrounds, people who are mentally ill, who are vulnerable. And guess what? He was a fucking uh, chaplain for the local university, so he opened this, like, chaplain's pantry and like, oh, here, come, come, work with me, underprivileged, uh, you know, teenagers. You know, I'm the whatever. I'm the religious whatever. Nice guy. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? He went out of his way to have like a public image of a safe person while making decisions to give him access to very vulnerable young people. So fuck this guy. Um, at the time that you saw him at the restaurant in Pike Place, did you know at that time about him being a fucking pervert or you just knew him from the TV? No, I just knew about him from the TV. And so guess what I did? Like, um, didn't approach him while he was sitting, eating his like giant basket of mussels and powering down his vodkas. Uh, it was after the group that I was with, the um, like graduation party, happened to leave the restaurant at about the same time that Mr. Smith did. And uh, while we're kind of like outside milling around conversing, he was out there and I said like, oh, hey, Mr. Smith, uh, I, I really appreciate your um, uh, recommendation of the uh, Susie Garlic Press. Like he, he had this, you know, he might have had a financial relationship with this company I don't know but he he would like recommend this particular garlic press that uh, I tried others uh-huh. and they were unsatisfactory and then I, I went ahead and spent the extra money on the Susie S-U-S-I garlic press and uh, it was like head and shoulders above the competition it was a great garlic press I still stand by the Susie garlic press okay so I went, up, I went up to him and I said, I really appreciate that recommendation. That is a great garlic press. And he, giant six foot four, 350 pound, 350 pound dude, said, oh, it's, it's so nice to be appreciated by the young people. And he put his arm around me, oh, uh, no. put his arm around my shoulder, and he, like, gripped me tight and, like, uh, you know, shoved my tiny 135-pound frame against his, you know, 350-pound giant body and, like, kind of, like, gave me the big, giant, you know, one-armed shoulder hug. The bear, of. the the hug of a, um, a proud father. Yeah, exactly. Like, but I thought, I was like, he was the proud father of the Susie Garlic Press. So it was like, yeah, great, this is fun. <laughs> but luckily for me, there was, you know, the other 12 people I was there with uh, witnessing the the experience. So mm-hmm. he didn't try and, like, pick me up and drag me into a taxi and molester me or anything. No. Because I was, a, I was that age. I was, like, 1920. I was perfect for him yeah. at that time. <laughs> but, uh, 
<laughs> but luckily, I didn't get molested, and uh, and and he's fucking like, dead. But he died of natural causes. He died in his sleep, which is you know the worst thing for a molester, you know, to have happen. But yeah, he's dead, and um, I don't know. His wife was implicated. Here's some more story. Here's some more stories because I have other uh, local nuance okay. to add to this. Uh, <clears throat> when I moved to Tacoma in 2001, it was to be with a girlfriend, Ooh. and uh, she worked at uh, the Sher- local Sheraton Hotel. She was a um, she was an event coordinator. Okay. She was in, you know, at the hotel. And uh, so there were chefs at the hotel. It was a, you know, it's a, like a 15-story hotel or something. It, at the time, it was a Sheraton. She was friends with the, uh, like, the chef, the cook, kitchen staff. Mm-hmm. Um, she had this, uh, a chef she was friends with that had secondhand stories of people that had experiences with Jeff Smith in the basement of, I believe it was his home. I think he had a second, in the basement of his home, he had a full-on kitchen. In the basement? uh, In the basement of his home. He had a full-on kitchen built. And he would invite young men over to learn cooking in his basement and uh, (laughs) it was said that at times his wife would know what was going on. His wife was named Patricia Daly Smith. Her name was, yeah, Patricia. Yeah. So she would like call down to the basement when she knew, kind of knew what was going on. And uh, Jeff was basically chasing young boys around the uh, center, like, bar in oh the my. basement. Yeah. He's like, uh, Jeffrey, it's time to come upstairs. You know what I mean? And uh, apparently that was sort of an open secret in Tacoma. Like, no. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a hidden thing. It was sort of an open secret in Tacoma. And uh, this chef guy that, my ex-girlfriend knew, like, knew other people that, because of his, like, cooking experience or whatever, knew other people who had had that experience, and it was just sort of a thing that happened, and uh, and his wife knew about it, Patricia Daly-Smith knew about it, and she was brought up on charges at the same time that Jeffrey Smith was, Jeff Smith was, um, with those seven... Um, young men who accused him of uh, molesting. Uh, they also brought charges against her, uh-huh. Patricia Smith, and um, the you know the the chaplain's pantry and frugal gourmet enterprises and all that stuff. But because the thing was settled out of court, um, none of that stuff you know comes to. Uh, None of it's available. Dude, can you fucking imagine? Okay, first of all, I have so many things to say. Number one, when it comes to sexual molestation, I feel like the policy should be like it is at the airport. Like if you see something, say something. It doesn't matter how innocuous you think it is or it might be. If something seems off, say something. See something, say something. Let's stop molestering from happening. Second of all, who the fuck wants to cook in a basement like that is the worst fucking place for a kitchen you want a kitchen with a window so you're seeing outdoors while you're cooking I think that's so important um you know you're taking things from the earth turning them into nourishment you want to have a view of the outside while doing it you also want windows to open in case it gets hot you know you're steaming things up you got to put your pie in the windowsill to 
to cool down. I grew up watching cartoons. You put the pie in the windowsill. There is no reason to fucking put a kitchen in your goddamn basement. That's because I assume he had a kitchen at ground level in any house in the world. The kitchen's always at ground level. You can have, you know, a basement rec room. You have bedrooms upstairs. The kitchen is ground level. There's a window. Who the fuck? And then what were these people thinking when he's like, I need a, I need some uh, contractor to come put a kitchen in my basement. And they're like, uh, Jeff, that sounds fucking retarded. What are we got to We got to run these fucking vents like the venting system. Uh, Cause like ovens and shit need vents. Like it's just bullshit. That's like, um, was it Ed Gein who had like a crazy torture house? I don't know. There's all these fucking serial killers who have these crazy torture houses with like secret rooms and shit. Well, this basement kitchen is some fucked up bullshit. Hell yeah. Uh, I know who you're talking about with the, the crazy, like, H.H. H. Holmes. Yeah. Thinking about. And he had different people build different parts of the house, so no one really yeah. knew what the end product was going to be like. <laughs> Jeffrey Smith is the is the H.H. H. Holmes of Tacoma. Yeah, I well, like at that. least of molestation, for sure. When you are... <laughs> When there was um when you are modifying your house for your criminal activity, you've reached a new level. There was a um a my favorite murder like they do their mini sods on Mondays and listeners write in stories and this real yeah, estate it's the best. They, this real estate agent from uh Phoenix wrote in and said they once showed a house that had a room in the basement. And so, like, where you went downstairs and there was a room in a basement that was 100% bare except for a toilet and it locked from the outside. And they were like, I, they said they weren't able to see the history of the house, but they're like, whatever fucking happened with the previous owners, it couldn't have been good. Why do you have a, a why is your basement a room, a, a bare room with nothing but a toilet sitting in the middle of it and it locks from the outdoors? And like... For just that in and of itself, just hearing that like haunted me. That is the creepiest fucking thing I have ever heard. I can't imagine touring a home, be like, "Oh, this townhome seems like a great price," and then you like walk up to that. I don't like it. Why wouldn't the realtor have removed the lock from the outside? You know, make it make it a, a lock that locks from both the in, uh, just the inside. I mean, yeah. For, if I were a realtor. If I were a real estate agent and I was working with a client trying to sell their home, I'd be like, okay, what you're going to need to do is um, uh, remove the lock, put a normal door handle, and if you want to keep the plumbing, it's clearly plumb to have a, ba- a bathroom down here, let's make that a separate bathroom, you know, and we'll put a couple grand into remodeling this to not be a fucking nightmare scape. I think it was a foreclosure home, so that's why they... It, and, you know, whoever was selling it didn't um, have time to modify it is it was being sold by the bank because it was a foreclosure home. And that's why it, it was on the market with that unchanged. That, that makes it so much scarier than <laughs> than before. The fact that it was a foreclosure home, uh, that, that needs to be another episode of something uh forensic files maybe i don't know well hopefully it was foreclosed uh, on because the owners were arrested and and put in jail and uh were unable to continue making payments like hopefully that's why the home was foreclosed on because that's a fucking nightmare okay until you dig up under the concrete you know basement or whatever uh yeah uh all right um well so i think we're kind of done with jeff smith like i he died Thank in 2004. God. He's dead, but his books are still for sale. If you go on YouTube, all of his cooking videos from PBS shows from the 90s are still on. You can like access all of his content. There's no... I tried to find con- conspiratorial stuff on YouTube. None of it. You can't find anything bad about him except uh, except for a few... Newspaper articles, uh, local newspaper articles. There was one in Chicago News Tribune because he, you know, he worked there. He was on Chicago PBS for a while. But other than that, and Northwest, uh, same thing. There's 
nothing like bad about it. It's the worst. Like he's, he's the guy that hasn't been, he survived not being canceled. Um, He's the guy that didn't get canceled. Well, I want to encourage all of our listeners, if you're ever hopped up on cold brew and bored, go on YouTube and comment pedophile on every single video of his fucking cooking show. And maybe we can spread the news. This is a great idea. I like that. Yeah, do that, everyone. I'm going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, this is a great episode, I guess. I mean, is it it okay to call it a great episode? Oh, it was a banger. Uh, Great. As always. I don't like it. I don't like the the topic, but I like like, um, exposing... Exposing the shit. Yeah. Well, I think All like, right. uh, yeah, the more people understand the insidious nature and how these predators get at children, the more it can be prevented in the future. So we're doing the Lord's work here at Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality. Well, so let's have less awful monsters in the world. Let's have more petting dogs. More making soup. Uh, and making soup. It's good. Let's have good things. No bad things. <laughs> All right, well, happy hump day, everyone. Yeah, happy hump day!